If you're the parent of an only child, you may be wondering if it's a good idea to homeschool. Our guest today is the awesome Megan Facero, whose only child flourished in their homeschool and went on to a great Catholic college. Today, we'll unpack some compelling reasons to homeschool an only child. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today we're talking with Megan Facero about compelling reasons to homeschool an only child. Megan Facero is the Homeschool Outreach Coordinator for Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, and has held various positions at Benedictine College over the years in the student life and ministry departments. Along with her work with the Office of Admissions as the Homeschool Outreach Coordinator, she is a study abroad program director and parent outreach coordinator. Her best job title, however, is homeschool mom to Julia, who is now a senior at Benedictine College. Megan and her husband, Matt, live in rural Atchison County, Kansas. You can find Megan at Benedictine College's website, and this is in the show notes, www.benedictine.edu. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, you know, you and I had so much fun talking about this, Megan, but I think it's important to share, just to put ourselves in context, that you and I both dreamed of having a big family. Tell us, tell us what happened in your case, and then I'll share mine. Okay. Yeah, Lisa and I found out that we share something in common, which is homeschooling an only child. For my husband, Matt, and I, it really, we called our daughter, Julia, our wedding gift from God, because... You know, we got married uh, right out of college. We were 22 and 23 when we were married. And about within about 10 months, we had a brand new little newborn. So by our first anniversary, we were celebrating with, with a little two-month-old. And um, so we were so thrilled. You know, we she really is a gift from God. And we just assumed in our, you know, naivete and our, our youth, we, we assumed, oh, this must mean we're going to have a, a nice, large, beautiful Catholic family like the ones that are all around us that are really inspiring us. And as it turns out, that really was not God's plan for our family. And like I shared with you, Lisa, you know, it took some time before Matt and I and our, and our daughter, Julia, came to terms with that fact that this really is the family that God created for, wanted us to be and to be comfortable with that. But so that's how we ended up homeschooling an only child. Yeah, and doing it so beautifully. In our case, I was a really not well-informed Catholic and not very devout, and it was several years of us kind of being morally infertile. And then I had a big conversion, and the, but then this long, years-long battle to try to get pregnant was just endless sorrow for me. It was really just so heartbreaking. But after almost 14 years of marriage, we gave birth to our one and only after I had a, a kind of an experimental procedure. It was perfectly moral. It was just a, a little procedure. But I was able to have just the one pregnancy. So I had my daughter when I was almost 40. So I have a late life blessing and you have a wedding gift. And, uh, <laughs> and, and as you said before, when we were chatting about this before the recording, there are a lot of reasons why people homeschool an only child, whether it's their 
biologically only child or they're in circumstances where there's just that one child that they're focusing on. That's right. And I used to joke with friends that, you know, someday I'm going to write a book that's called Homeschooling the Only Child. And then I would, the punchline was, but no one would buy it because no one, no one is homeschooling the only child. I, everyone, all the homeschool families I looked around and saw, they were, you know, had multiple children. So I thought, well, this book is never going to sell. But as I, you know, have worked at some homeschool conferences over the past couple of years as the homeschool outreach coordinator, I have met so many beautiful little tiny families that are homeschooling. And I realize that there really is a target audience for this topic. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's fun to just kind of jump right into it now, Megan. Where should we begin? People will sometimes just assume that it's a horribly lonely life to be a homeschooled only child. Is it fair to do that to our kids? <laughs> right. That, that's a great question. Is it fair to homeschool an only child? And I would say it'd be unfair to not homeschool just because they're an only child. You know, we, when we look around and see the great blessings that homeschool families have, and that's what inspired us to even consider homeschooling in the first place was looking around at these other families. And I, I just feel like it would be unfair to say, well, since we only have one, let's, let's not do that. You know, we, we wanted those blessings for our family, whether we were, whether homeschooling one child or 10. Exactly, exactly. All right, so you, you say some really cool things about this subject. So I'm just going to go ahead and use your expression. How can a family with an only child have the heart of a large family? Yeah, this is something that I have just prayed about and prayed especially for my daughter to realize, especially when she was quite young and she would see other families bringing home new babies from the hospital. And I just, you know, wanted her to always know that we have the heart of a large family. We have that generous and open heart. I never wanted her to feel like we had chosen this you know, life for us or that we weren't open to the, and that we recognized what a beautiful blessing and what generosity these large families are showing. And a lot of that, I was telling you, Lisa, is formed by, I I go back again and again to this paragraph in the Catechism um, 2373, and it just says, sacred scripture and the church's traditional practice see in large families a sign of God's blessing and the parents' generosity. And I've just always been blown away by the fact that the church recognizes that beautiful, you know, generosity that it takes to be a large family. Um, But then the very next paragraph, so that's one paragraph. The next one says, couples who discover that they are sterile suffer greatly. And it goes on from there. So right away, the church comes in, swoops in with this recognition that even though the church recognizes the beauty and the blessing and the generosity of these large families, it recognizes that these small families um, can feel great loss uh, when, when, you know, when it's just the, the three of us at home. And so right away, the, the church comes in with some beautiful words and reminds us that the child is not something owed to one. And this is paragraph 2378, but is a gift. The supreme gift of marriage is a human person. So again, I just always go back to these words and I wanted, yeah, just wanted to always live with the heart of a large family 
And that has meant different things at different times. Sometimes I pray that my daughter will marry someone who has lots of siblings so that she'll get that feeling of having siblings. And then sometimes my prayer is just in gratitude for her cousins, who she almost looks like as siblings because they're her closest, you know, pure relative, you know, pure age relatives. Um, so, so that prayer takes different forms at different times in my life when I see different needs from our daughter. But I just hope that she always recognizes that we have that heart of a, of a large family. That's just beautiful. And it reminds me of something else when you're talking about her finding sibling-like relationships with other people within the extended family. I noticed with my daughter um, that she, she fulfilled kind of one of those um, adages, which is that because we're imperfect and limited as parents, we actually bless our children because we don't fulfill all their needs. And they go out into the world with some unmet needs that drives them to create something of their own. Now, of course, we wouldn't want them to be terribly needy in, a, in this culture in particular. But the idea is that your imperfections are part of God's plan. And so what I've noticed is that because my daughter is really essentially an introvert and an only child, she had this tremendous drive to form sibling relationships. And she does that very well. And she's now 21 and a senior in a secular college. And yet the homeschool friends that she made throughout the years are like siblings to her. They are her go-to advisors, the people that she counsels, the people that she walks this road with. And, and there is that sense because they're such long-term and such still strong relationships that she has created that for herself by God's grace, that they do. They fill the need in other ways and they're a blessing to others because they have that drive for deeper connection. I think that's a really good point. I feel like when I look at our family, I look like I feel like we're always looking outward, whereas because it's just the three of us, you know, we can look at each other for so long, but then after that, we kind of start looking out, and and then I I see large families are they have they have this wonderful beautiful community that pulls them so close together and lets them look inward at each other a lot. So I have noticed the same thing where my daughter looks constantly for these connections with these other home, especially like you said, these homeschool families, many of whom are these large families. She sees them as her closest ties and, and like you said, almost like a sibling. So just another reason to be thankful for those beautiful large Catholic families in our homeschool groups. And, and you know, my, I've actually had mothers of large families that Teresa's gotten close to say to me, Thank you. She, she, like, she comes into our midst and appreciates everyone from the toddler to the grad student. Like there's this sense in the only child that, oh, look, the, the baby, look, the, the middle schooler, look, the high schooler. Like they have this fascination like it's Christmas morning. And so that can be a real <laughs> blessing to them too, because let's face it, families are accustomed to each other and it might be nice to, for someone to walk in and go, wow, look how special you all are. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, that's so true. Alrighty. What's what's another of your mottos? You have some cool cool ways of looking at this, Megan. Yeah, and this the this other motto that I my husband and I actually kind of would say it to ourselves a lot when we were experiencing the the pains of infertility. You know, we would say, you know, we just want to tell people you really you can't count kids. And what we meant by that was. Whether you've got one or you have 10, your whole life is full of that, that parenting role. So it, it really doesn't matter if you're the parent of one or the parent of 10. You still, it's a still a full-time 
um, it takes your whole heart, you know, it, and so we, when we would find, you know, meet a new family, they said, well, how many kids do you have? And we would, uh, that number question coming up again, we said, we have one, you know, and how many kids do you have? We have seven. I, I always, I didn't want it to be a comparison game that meant something more than just the fact that God had blessed both of us fully. You know, he had yes. given this one family seven and given us one, but in both cases, we were, we were completely full. And, and so that's one of, one of my mottos that I feel kind of goes along with this too. You know, how many, if you said it's unfair to homeschool just one because they'd be home alone with you <laughs> during the day. Well, when, what number would be okay? You know, is it okay when you have three or is it okay when you have five or is it ever too many kids to have to homeschool? You know, so I, I think you just can't count, you can't put a number on it. Um, and so that's really one of the, the thoughts that kind of forms my thinking around this topic. That's a great way to look at that fullness that you experience as a parent. Your life really does fill up with your love of that child and all the needs. And there are some ways in which it's rather taxing on parents to have an only child because there is no other companion. And so that also drives the parents to seek social situations, gatherings, co-ops, good friendships, cultivating relationships with other families, and as you mentioned, your own extended family. And the time that we spend out in the community together and doing other kinds of activities where our children really get to be really very socially sophisticated. Yeah, and I think that's one of the gifts that the family of an only child who's homeschooling can bring to your homeschooling community is, you know, kind of recognize, okay, so we do, we only need to get through one student schoolwork every day. So that might free me up to plan a service project for our homeschool group or plan a field trip or take on the role of moderating our homeschool group's email group. Um, whatever it or plan the end of the year picnic, whatever it might be. I felt like that was a gift that I was able to give to my fellow homeschoolers while they were giving me these beautiful gifts of, you know, having these wonderful families for my child to play with and watch, watch the moms take beautiful care of their newborns. And she, we gained so much from that. The gift that I was able to give back was to help fill in some of the blanks that they just didn't have time on their hands to be able to do. So yeah, I think there is a beautiful like reciprocity that that we can give to each other. It, those large families are such a blessing and then the small families can kind of fill in where needed. Yeah, and that's, that's really a gorgeous way to look at it because it is an opportunity. In all those years before I was able to have a child, I was the auntie. I had a little disposable income and the time so that when teenagers in, in our extended family were going through rough spots, I could literally get on a flight, go and visit them, spend time with the teens and become a sounding board. And let me tell you, God used that. Those, time, those desert times for me were also times of growing closer to the Lord, of service, of being able to offer myself. And so, you know, I came obviously pretty late in life to being a mom. I joked that I was more like a grandmother than a mother. Charlie and I were just so excited and like the sun rose and, the, and set on this baby. <laughs> but being able to see it that way, the fullness, the being able to have the time to, to explore instead of what I don't have, what do I have? What are the opportunities here? It can be very exciting. And I also want to touch on one of the things that you alluded to is the suffering. As soon as you said that, I, I don't know if you could tell, we can see each other on Zoom. I was like completely tearing up because 
you go through life wondering if people are judging you and thinking you're selfish for being the child, you know, the mother of an only child. And so I have an elevator pitch, as, as we used to call it in the acting business. Somebody would say to me, oh, how many children do you have? And I'd say, oh, one, she's my late life blessing when I didn't think I was going to have any. Thanks be to God. And that's me saying, you know, please don't judge me. You know, this was, this was the greatest thing aside from faith that I have ever been given in my life, and I appreciate it. But I also um, build this little protective wall around myself because I'm so afraid of someone thinking of me as being selfish, which I certainly am, by the way. But that's not why I'm the mother of an only child. <laughs> exactly. I think it's really true. You never, it's, you know, you never know until you walk into, in these shoes. Um, what it feels like to, you know, to wonder, are people thinking that we're just selfish? Or are they wondering, why haven't you solved this problem, you know? Um, and I have to admit, my husband and I both say, before we were married, we definitely looked at families with one child as we thought they had made a decision of, of their own somehow. And like you said, that they were being unselfish. And and so the Lord has definitely shown me through this that we really can't know exactly what the circumstances are, um, what the person has gone through to try to be to show our Lord. I'm so open to your will and and please send me any anybody, we'll take anyone, <laughs> send them our way. And um, and then you then you know, eventually you kind of settle into a realization that, oh this is the family you meant for me? Oh, and you, um, and that's giving me chills right now too. Me too. I just, you know, realizing we're always looking for something else, but he's given us this beautiful gift right in our midst. And, and instead of always asking and looking for more, when you finally get to that point where you can accept it and say, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful family. Um, you realize like this is where he wants me to work out my vocation and work out my holiness. Amen. Yeah, say more. You know, we've talked about the need for those deeper relationships. What else is important to an only child, Megan? What are you seeing? Yeah, I think just in general, I think every homeschool um, student is looking for opportunities to learn more about, you know, who am I? And sometimes I feel like those students with other siblings, those rough edges get knocked off a little sooner than for our only ch child. I don't know if you have the same experience. That's a great point. <laughs> and so just trying to kind of put our only children out there, like you said, in some different situations that are going to help them be more socially um, sophisticated. I like the way you say that. <laughs> we might have to try a little harder to seek out those opportunities because we don't have a sibling kind of saying like, hey, that's not a funny joke or don't do that. Like that, that's not nice when you do that. You know, we don't have those constant interactions that are going to wear off those rough edges. So we have to seek those out. So it might be, like you said, you know, partnering up with another family to do, to spend time together, do classes together, organize some social events that you might know, hey, this is going to be kind of awkward for my only child, but I'm going to put them out in this situation and let them feel their way through it. And and so I think we do have to be, there are a few other needs we need to meet for our only children. Well, we do have a few other, you know, things we should be on the lookout for. 
just opportunities. Yeah, and to give them a frame of reference that they're in their own youthy culture too. Like, I don't mean the ich culture. I mean, just being young. Like, um, I was almost 40. My husband's several years older than me when she was born. So by the time she was, you know, a thriving little girl, and at first she was in the public school, Charlie and I didn't agree on this until later. Like, I remember one day she got up out of a chair and went, ugh. As she was getting up, and I realized she picked that up from us, and there was no way she had aching joints yet. That's just the way you get out of a chair, and I'm thinking, boy, this kid needs to get out more. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just recognizing that we, we're a lot of fun, but we're not that much fun to hang around. So just recognizing that need for some social interaction and being willing to, if if it's not happen, happening naturally, for your student to kind of make it happen, even whatever you need to do to, to, to make that happen. Yeah, take us in, into some other insights. What are some ways to look at parenting an only child? Well, you know, just, I guess, like I said, you know, once you kind of recognize that parenting the only child really is a gift, then you can kind of settle into your days with them can really be full of so many beautiful moments that you might not have an opportunity to have if you, if you did have more children. Now, that is not to say that I would, you know, I would gladly welcome a whole cohort of children into my family, but just to recognize that there are some little gifts, just like when there's, when you have a large family, you're going to see some beautiful interactions between your children that we're, we will never see because we don't, our child doesn't have siblings. So there are some special gifts there, but there are, you know, we can spend a lot of one-on-one time with our students. They can get to know us in a way that may not have been possible um, in another, you know, in another family. They we can learn more about them and what kind of makes them tick and what helps. So we can kind of focus a little bit more on like, hey, you're super interested in acting or um, you're really, you seem really interested in journalism. Let's do a special study. So there are some special things that um, we can recognize as gifts when we're homeschooling that only child. Absolutely. We can, we can really focus on them in a way that, that, that can be really great. Yeah, I, I can just think of so many things. From the time she was tiny, she was always really, a friend of mine who's a school teacher said, start reading to her right away. And she was like three days old when my friend Stephanie, who's amazing, told me that. And I was like, really? Well, by the time she was four months old, she was reaching for her favorite books. I'm not even kidding. I would lay them out on the bed and she would reach for the same ones over and over again. And by the time she was I don't know, say maybe three years old, she was so story obsessed that she was at my elbow a lot saying, tell me a story, tell me a story. She's a writer, by the way, like her mom, but in a very different way, a screenwriter. And we would have to read like 10, 11 books at night before she could settle down to go to sleep. She was just story mad. And if I'd had a lot of other kids, of course, they could have been reading to each other. She could have been reading to younger siblings. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. But boy, did we have a ton of fun and daddy nights where he would tell her his stories. And and we just ended up with so many little in-jokes and times when the three of us would just read a book together night after night and go through the chapters. Um, Those are really sweet memories for us. They, yeah, they really are. They're those times when you, it's just the three of you and you really do, you know, you can see that reflection of the Holy Family, you know, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. You see 
oh, like we're all, you know, it's this beautiful community, even with three people. But I think that's why it kind of goes back to you can't count kids. You can't because it doesn't matter the number. You're still building this beautiful community with each other. You can have a community, basically just knowing that you can have a community with three people, you can have a family with three people is, is a good, it's just a good thing to know and to remember. Yeah. And how much does it affect uh, parents of only children that the culture is so against parents? The culture wants to insinuate itself in between us and our children, make them suspicious of us divide us so they can conquer our children's minds and hearts. And I, and I know I sound a little paranoid, but I am. I think there are diabolical forces at work in the world that want to take our children from us, and that that bond between parents and children is holy. And mm-hmm. so, yes, as imperfect as we are, we, we rest in our trust in God's mercy and His grace and our holy angels praying for us night and day. But to just appreciate the times that we are together as a family and just how meaningful all of that is and how holy it is. That's right. And, you know, sometimes we said it feels like we've got a third adult in the house. Sometimes even, you know, when she was 10, she would be weighing in on conversations (laughs) about (laughs) mortgages and, you know, things that just she shouldn't have even been interested in, honestly, you know, but since she was hanging out with the two of us and she would hear our conversations so intimately you know, it sometimes felt like we had this third adult. And I think you're right. It speaks to just that beautiful relationship between that is just natural between the children and their parents. Even though we're on different, you know, we're on the adult track and she's doing her 10-year-old thing. We still, there's still this beautiful bond that she's concerned about the things that we're concerned about. And we care about the things that she cares about too. Let's get a little more granular while we still have uh, a few more minutes what are some of the specific things that you would advise parents of an only child to kind of work into their homeschool life? Okay, so I would definitely, if you can pair up with another family and try to trade some classes, you know, like whatever it would take to just, you know, we used to have this beautiful family. They have nine children now and their two oldest used to come over to our house for latin every you know every other day and we i would send julia to their house to do science and those are just wonderful memories for my daughter just to when when she thinks back to the the fun we would have latin bees and things you know we would just have all kinds of different latin competitions with the boys and they would they would draw posters and use latin phrases and make latin valentine's day cards and things like that And then she, when she went down to their house for science, they would do like science projects and museum type experiences. And we would go down and and watch her present some science topic with with that family. And and so those are just treasured memories for her. And actually, she's still very good friends with the two boys that that we used to trade these classes with. And so we're just so thankful that she was able to go down the hill and spend time with her family. And like I said, she got to see my dear friend, um, parenting all the ages. And she got to see what a homeschooling family looked like when there are, was a newborn up to age 13 and all kinds of activity going on. And, and so I'm just, you know, eternally grateful that she got to see what that looks like because, you know, who knows what her future holds for her as far as whether she'll be a married person, whether she, if she is married, will she have a large family to, to learn to take care of? And she didn't get to see me 
monitoring sibling rivalry. You know, I she didn't get to see that day in and day out. She didn't get to see me balancing a newborn with a 13-year-old. So she's going to be figuring that out on her own. And so I'm just so thankful that she got to see some beautiful families in in practice, you know, do, living their daily life and showing us like what's possible with with a family like that. Yeah, and and she'll bring those experiences with God's help into whatever that situation is. I remember there's a, a woman in our homeschool network with a large family, but she was an only child. And she once confided to me kind of laughingly and warm, warmly that she treats each of her children like an only child. And that, you know, that means, you know, she wasn't sleeping a lot. But like we had the opportunity, I'm sure you did too, because every teenager gets to that point where the only time they open up is late at night and you end up not getting a whole lot of sleep before the day begins again. And so with an only child, it's, I'm sure it's not as taxing. If you had to be like that available to every single child when you had multiple teenagers, that would be, that would be a stretch. It's really true. And that's why I love that the church recognizes that in every large family, there is just a ton of generosity going on. Because like you said, you know, as a parent of an only child, I, I was able to sleep when she slept when she was a newborn. You know, I remember the doctor told me sleep when she sleeps and I did. Well, and then I looked around at my other friends who were having multiple children. I'm like, how do they sleep when she, their, their newborn is sleeping? They're not. And how, how do they, I, I am just in awe of so many beautiful moms out there who are generous, you know, to the point that I won't be called in that same way to be, to be generous. And I'm, I'm in awe of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you take a learner's mindset too, as far as kind of um, having your child be able to see all of the dynamics going on. As far as um, you talk sometimes about, you know, rich and rewarding homeschooling experiences, what about that one-on-one learning? What's special about that with an only child that you think is, is really well worth investing in? Yeah, well, I mean, we know that um, that's one of the reasons that anyone, anyone wants to homeschool is to be able to have that one-on-one. And so even those, you know, large families that are homeschooling multiple ages, they're getting to do that one-on-one learning that we know is so effective for our students. So for us, when we, you know, when we were able to move through the school day in such a, um, you know, very one-on-one way, you know, we were able to kind of start our day together and go to mass in the morning and come home and make breakfast together and then move into the school day. And if that meant, you know, starting with the Pledge of Allegiance and a, a morning prayer and then moving into, you know, sitting at the math at the desk and doing math or you really get to pour yourself into the homeschooling role. And, um, and that, that just is going to, that just pays beautiful dividends for us, you know, getting to spend that time with our student and for our children who are getting this, like, this amazing, loving one-on-one. I mean, it's not always perfect, you know, Lisa. (laughs) They also, you know, there are times I'm sure where Julia would have loved to have someone else swoop in and take the attention off of the two of us, you know. But overall, as we look back, we, you know, we can see just a lot of the blessings. And with an only child, you only have a certain number of homeschooling years available to you, you know, that if, if you do it kindergarten through 12th grade, that's the time, that's your homeschool time. And after that, it's kind of over. 
Whereas, you know, I'm looking at my homeschool friends with multiple children's, children and their homeschooling career is going to be much longer than mine could ever be. You know, for us with one child, it's something to even be more jealous of, you know, like to just hold on to and just appreciate that, yes, this time is blessed. It's going to go so fast. And it's, it's only a short season of our life when we'll be able to do this. And after that, we'll be out in the real world, you know, out doing whatever it is God wants us to do with the rest of our time. But that time is so short. Just so beautiful. And you've alluded to this. There will be other voices along the way. It's not always just mom. There's the co-ops and the family groupings and, and there's online classes and things like that. There are so many resources now, especially when they get into their teen years and they're starting to really in a healthy way to just break away a little bit and start to establish some independent identity. Thoughts on that before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point that for Julia, she was she was involved with Mother of Divine Grace for her high school years. And she they offered her a beautiful community online. You know, she was involved in the National Honor Society and she wrote for the school online newspaper and her classes included opportunities to debate with other, you know, students her own age. And she developed a rapport with the the teachers. And um, so those kinds of opportunities could be a really beautiful uh, way to help support your only child during those high school years when they are just looking for other like-minded individuals to kind of grow with and debate with and learn from. And so, yeah, I think, I think um, homeschool connections and so many other places offer these opportunities now for students to be in a community while they're just at home doing their Mm. homeschooling. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Megan, so much. This was just a delight. It's really nice to bond as two moms of only children. And for those of you listening, um, our hearts and prayers go out to you. If you're trying to make this decision, um, please do reach out to Megan at www.benedictin.edu. You can find her there. She's on staff. She's awesome. She's done so many other talks for us, too, on our conferences and on the podcast. We have insider tips from the admissions office. You got to check that out. I'll put them in the show notes. And what the college professors are saying about your homeschooler. Like, what are their observations, kind of pros and cons, as as homeschooled kids come into the college environment? Uh, Hint, it's mostly awesome. Um, So, but some great tips on how to really prepare our kids for college. So, Megan is always a delight. We can't wait to have her on again. And uh, just thanks so much, Megan. Oh, thank you, Lisa. I'm glad we we discovered that we're both the moms of only children and got to got to talk a little bit more about this topic together. Yeah, me too. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And please stay tuned for the short feature coming right up. AJ Catapan, welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you some of my favorite books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today I'd like to introduce you to Shadow in the Dark, the first book in a new middle grade historical series by Anthony Kolink. In this engaging tale for ages 10 and up, a boy watches in horror as bandits attack his village in the middle of the night. The next morning, he wakes up in Harwood Abbey, surrounded by monks. He has no memory of who he is, much less where he's from or what happened to his family. The Benedictine monks at Harwood Abbey 
take him in and set him up in a dormitory for orphan boys on the grounds of their abbey. A kind monk named Brother Andrew gives the boy the name Alexander, or Zan for short. With Brother Andrew's help, Zan sets out to learn what happened to him and his family. But as their search continues, they discover that the bandits that attacked Zan's village aren't finished with their raids yet, and Zan and his new friends may still be in grave danger. Author Tony Kolink has created a fun cast of characters. The monks range from kindly and helpful to stern and cranky. The orphan boys in the dormitory include a bully intent on making fun of Zan for being clumsy, and a young friend who is eager to help Zan, and who looks up to him as if he were a big brother. In fact, Zan realizes that many of the young boys in the dormitory look to him for reassurance when a shadowy figure is seen walking the grounds at night, and the bully tries to convince everyone that the shadowy figure is death looking for his next victim. Zan also befriends a girl named Lucy and some nuns from a nearby convent. This adds just a hint of potential future romance for Zan, but nothing that will scare off young readers. Fans of historical novels will appreciate the research that went into making the story authentic to its 12th century setting. Mystery and adventure lovers will appreciate the suspense as the story tension ramps up to the climax. Shadow in the Dark by Anthony Kolink has won the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval and will appeal to both boys and girls who enjoy adventure stories and mysteries. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn about my own books for young readers, including my middle grade novel, Seven Riddles to Nowhere, about a seventh grade boy trying to save his Catholic school from closing by winning a riddle solving contest. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.